0: Well, listen, as a church family, we are going to journey throughout the Christmas season as we kind of move from Thanksgiving towards Christmas. This is by far my favorite time of the year. But as we do so, we are going to be moving through a concept, a biblical concept that most of us have heard of. It's a Jewish concept, an Older Testament concept that's fulfilled in Jesus, and it's a concept of shalom, shalom. How many of you have ever heard the word shalom before? If you've known people who are Jewish, they say shalom when they greet each other, they say shalom when they depart from each other. But if you were to read the Bible, Old and New Testament, if you were to read the scriptures, With a view of Shalom, with the lens of Shalom, it would be shocking to you to discover how much this concept, this reality affects us in our faith, but also permeates the Bible. So during this Christmas season, as we move from Thanksgiving towards Christmas... We're going to journey with the concept of Shalom, and this is where it came from. I had in my heart that this Christmas teaching series should allow us as people to find strength, to find Christ, to view Christmas as it was when Jesus was born, in this fashion. How many of you agree that we are in difficult times? Raise your hand. How many of you have a sense that these difficult times aren't going to quickly end, but they may continue for some period of time? If you were to read the birth story of Jesus and the Christmas story, what we're facing currently with modern reality is so parallel to the time of when Jesus was born that it's absolutely uncanny, and yet God in his wisdom came in the flesh, came as the Prince of Peace, into that type of a chaotic, upside-down, suffering-filled, pain-filled world. And as we think about the Christmas story and we move from Thanksgiving to Christmas, we're going to focus on Shalom. To understand Shalom, It's going to seem a little academic at the beginning of this teaching, but I want for us, or my prayer is, is that we would understand what shalom is and what shalom means. According to biblical scholars, shalom means completeness, wholeness, health, peace, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, perfectness, fullness, rest, harmony, and the absence of agitation or discord. Shalom comes from the root verb shalom, meaning to be complete, perfect, and full. Just how you felt at the end of Thanksgiving dinner. Complete, perfect, full. In modern Hebrew. There are words that are obviously related to this verb. In modern Hebrew, there's a Hebrew word, shalem, which means to pay for, and shulam, which means paid for in full. If you were to look a little bit deeper into the meaning of this Hebrew word, it's also in verb form shalom that provides a deeper understanding of the term, especially in theology and doctrine and liturgy. Literary, or literally translated shalom signals to a state of safety, but figuratively it points to completeness. In its use in the Bible, shalom describes the actions that lead to a state of soundness or wholeness. In other words, shalom isn't just passive, but it's kind of a transcendent state. And again, in the Bible, shalom describes the actions that lead to a state of soundness or wholeness. If you were to dig a little bit deeper, you would find That the word shalom in scripture is translated to mean the following things. To make amends. To make good. To be at peace or to make peace. Maybe some of you saw people that you don't normally see during Thanksgiving. And during your Thanksgiving time you made peace with them. That's an understanding of shalom. Shalom also biblically means to restore. It literally means peace. It means prosperity. It means wellness. And also when there were peace treaties signed in the Older Testament, they were known as shalom. Digging even deeper, you would discover if you studied shalom in the Old Testament specifically, you would find that shalom is found through justice and truth and the fulfillment of shalom in the older testament was viewed into the future as a time when the messiah would come and when the messiah came he would be the anointed one and he would be called the prince of peace Again, if you were to look in the Older Testament, you would discover that shalom is a state, a reality based on justice and truth that permeates all experiences of life. I believe that as we move through this Christmas series, it's going to be an opportunity for us to understand biblically what shalom is and how Christ came to fulfill this in our lives. As we move between Thanksgiving and Christmas, I felt very led this morning to begin by focusing on Thanksgiving. And in order to do that, there is a biblical story that I taught on in several discussion groups over the past couple of weeks that deals with the importance of Thanksgiving. But it also shows us how shalom can happen even in the most tragic, impoverished, removed realities in people's lives. And so looking at shalom, I'd like us to begin with thanksgiving. Would you grab your Bible or take out your smartphone and turn with me to Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. Luke chapter 17, Verses 11 through 19. Here's the biblical story that we're going to focus on together. It says, Jesus heals ten men of leprosy. Here's our reading. It says, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. As we think about shalom, and we think about this time between Thanksgiving and Christmas, what we're going to do together just for a few brief moments is we're going to take a look at this incredible story where Jesus heals 10 men of leprosy and one of them returns to give thanks. When you look at this story, there are some cultural things that we're going to need to know in order to grasp the fullness of what this story means. First of all, The Bible says Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and he's walking on the border between Samaria and Galilee. What this means is, is that Jesus is traveling up against a region where Samaritans live. And you will notice that it was a Samaritan that came to give thanks for Christ's healing. What we need to understand is, is that Samaritans in the area of Samaria or the area known as Samaria, is filled with people who are despised by the Jews of Jerusalem. Jesus was an Orthodox Jew in the sense where the center for worship for him was Jerusalem. And Jesus is traveling to go to Jerusalem to worship. But the route that he chooses is on the border of Galilee and Samaria. Samaria, again, is the place where these Jews live that are not complete Jews, like those that live in Jerusalem. They are half Jew, half Gentile. Most of the Jews that live in Samaria that are known as Samaritans had been forcibly relocated by invading armies centuries earlier. And as part of that invasion, they were forcibly married to non-Jews. Because of this, the Jews in Jerusalem viewed the Jews of Samaria as Benedict Arnold's, people that had turned on the Jewish nation. They had turned their back on the wholeness of the Jewish faith, and they were despised by the people or the Jews of Jerusalem. And so here we have a story where Christ is moving to Jerusalem. He's traveling there, but he travels on the border between Jerusalem and Samaria, And as he is going, ten men with leprosy met him. And the Bible tells us that they stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now there's a couple of other things that we need to know. You'll notice in all of your Bibles, whether you're reading in the Bible you hold or your smartphone, that next to the word leprosy there is a footnote... And that footnote says this word is used for all types of skin disease, all types. And so for those of you sitting here who maybe have had a heat rash, it is accurate to say you've had leprosy. You're welcome. But as we look at this, one thing that we can discern is that these men who have leprosy have the type of leprosy That most of us are familiar with why do we know this well first of all the town that they live in is a border town it's not fully in the Galilee it's not fully in Samaria it's located in between the two there's also ten of them it would be unusual for ten people to have some ailment unless they had been kind of put together And as you notice in this story, it says that they shouted from a distance to Jesus and said, Master, Jesus, have pity on us. It seems to indicate that they are obeying the laws in the book of Leviticus for people who have leprosy. Now, as we think about this idea of leprosy, what I wanted us to do was Maybe grab your Bible with me. I don't have the text up on the screen, but if you know your scriptures or you can find it in the Bible, you can turn to Leviticus chapter 13. As you turn there, you will discover that there is a very long chapter and it's the law of God, the book of Leviticus, is being given to Moses and in Leviticus 13 and in Leviticus 14, two very long chapters. There's an in-depth legal code that God gives to Moses for people who have a skin disease. And here's what would happen. You can read it. It goes on and on and on. But you would notice that if you had, wake up one day and you have a rash, the law says you have to go to the priest. Show them your rash. Here it is right here. And then it goes into intricate detail. If the rash is open, if it's oozing, that's a great word, isn't it, oozing? But if the priest would look at it and the priest would determine what the ooze was and if the flesh stayed open and it didn't turn white, you were quarantined for seven days. You can read it right there in Leviticus 13. After seven days, you'd be brought back to the priest again. And being brought back to the priest, it says if the skin turned white and it was in the process of healing, the priest could declare you as clean. But if you were still not healing, you would be quarantined again for seven more days. And at the end of those seven days, if you were not healing, you would be declared as unclean. Leviticus chapter 13 verse 45 tells us this. It says, anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes. They must let their hair be unkept. They must cover the lower part of their face and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they must remain unclean. They must live alone alone. And they must live outside the camp. So what you have here, since there was no medicinal healing for leprosy back in those days, what you had was that the law of God was protecting the larger population from this contagious disease that would kill you. And so if you woke up one day and you had a lesion on your body, you would go to the priest. The priest would examine you, seven days of quarantine. At the end of those seven days, you'd go to the priest again. The priest would check that lesion again. And if the lesion had not been healed, a Leviticus 13.45 was enacted upon you. You would be kicked out of your family. You would be kicked out of your community. You would live outside the camp. And wherever you went, you wore torn clothing, and you would cover the lower half of your face as with an operation mask, and you would shout to everyone, unclean, unclean. This literally was a death sentence. It was a cultural death sentence. And what we have during the time of Christ are leper colonies where people were sent to live. And that's why when you think about the border of Galilee and the border of Samaria, that's no doubt where a leper colony would have been placed. And these people were sent there. Now to understand leprosy medically, it's a horrific disease. It actually is a disease disease that attacks the nerves of your extremities. And so what ends up happening with this disease is that you may go to grab something because the nerve endings are dead in your hands. You'll overgrip it. And in overgripping it, you'll begin to tear the flesh. As the disease gets more advanced, people lose their nose, they lose their fingers, they lose their toes, and they end up losing their ears. And literally, they begin to decompose while they're alive. It's an absolute horrific disease. So picture this. Jesus is walking in a border town. And in walking in this border town, the Bible tells us, which is one of the most awesome verses in the whole Newer Testament. In verse 14, it says this, they cry out to him, and here's what it says. Jesus saw them. I love that. Jesus saw Saw them. Here is a group of people who have been put alone. They've been left in a colony. No one comes there to see them. No one comes there to greet them. They call out at a distance, which is what the law of Moses commanded. And in calling out to them, Jesus does not ignore them. But the Bible says literally this, that Jesus saw them. I love that. Because it speaks to me of the heart of God. Here's what I want to say. There are some people sitting in this auditorium and you believe that if everyone here knew your story, they would never want to know you. You falsely believe that God does not see you, God does not want to know you, and here's the comfort of this. It doesn't matter what's going on in your reality. God sees you. God knows you. I love verse 14, it says when Jesus saw them. Then scripture goes on, Jesus takes pity on them and he says to them, listen, go to the priest and show yourselves to them. Now remember, in Leviticus, the only way you can be declared clean, the only way you can go back and live in living community again is if you are declared by a priest to be clean. And so here Jesus, in obedience to the law of Moses, says to these people, go to the priest. And the Bible says, while they're on the way, they are healed. Can you imagine what that must have been like? You're there with your ten buddies. You guys have been invisible for years. Jesus is walking near the side of your town, and you call out to him, Jesus, have pity on me. And he announces this, go to the priest. Obey the law of Moses. And as you begin to walk, you look down and your fingers are starting to come back. Can you imagine? You're walking with your friends and as you're walking with them, you turn and your buddy's face is starting to come back. Can you imagine what that must have been like? And here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that one of them, We're not certain if he made it all the way to the priest or not. It's hard to say, but in the original, it's on his way. The healing is happening, and it appears as though one of them probably never made it all the way to the priest, but looked down, saw what had happened, realized that they'd been healed, and they make a U-turn, and they head back to Jesus. The reason why I believe this is true is because if Jesus was traveling, he'd have been long gone by the time they returned to their village. So this one comes back, finds Jesus, and the Bible gives us this incredible picture, this incredible picture of this person coming back back to thank Jesus and to throw himself at Jesus' feet and to worship him. Now, if you're like me, I read this story and I think to myself, how in the world did those nine people not come back to thank him. You ever thought about that, if you've ever read this story? How in the world could you be healed? Your appendages are back. Your face is back. You're completely healed. You're going to be back in community. Jesus has literally given you your life back. And you're moving into community, and yet you don't go find him and thank him. Only one person comes back, and he's a Samaritan. And Jesus, by his accent and how he dressed, was obviously a Jew from Jerusalem, and yet this guy came back to thank him and to worship him. Now, I have a question for all of us. How many of us sitting here would say, you've had an episode in your life where you know that you know that God did something in your life, raise your hand, you know it. Some of you got a job that you know you weren't qualified for and you didn't deserve, hallelujah, you got it, and you were faking it until you were making it. How many of you know what that's like? (laughs) Others of you, out of nowhere, something happened, and you knew in that moment you went, you know, I'm not smart enough, I'm not strong enough, and yet this happened, and I know that I know that I know that God has intervened, God has blessed me, God has delivered me, God has done something. You know what I have found? You can't meet a person over 30, that if you ask them that question, not a single person if you ask them that question, have you had something that's happened in your life? You met a person, You got a job, something that looked like a mistake at the beginning turned out to be incredible, and you just know that God did something. Every person I've ever met says, you know, I have an episode like that. And the next question is this, what did you do about it? What did you do? Did you go back and give thanks? Did you go back and worship him? Did you go back to discover more about this God? Or did you just kind of go on your way and go woo, dodged a bullet? Did you kind of come to the point where you ignored God? Or, Were you the type of the person that looked at that and said, oh my goodness, that wasn't me, that was some supernatural intervention, and because of that, I'm going to discover, I'm going to dig, I'm going to apply myself, and I'm going to move towards who God is. When you think about it this way, it's no surprise that only 10% of the lepers returned. I wonder if there was a polling of people who would say definitively God worked something on my behalf, if it would be more than 10% of people who came back to investigate and discover and apply themselves to that God who had intervened. But here's what Scripture tells us, and this is key for me. When I look at this story and when I think about Shalom and I think about what Jesus does in this man's life, his life is absolute chaos. His life is an absolute disaster. And yet Jesus saw him and heals him and works on his behalf. And in doing so, ten lepers leave and one returns. And what you would discover is this, is that this individual is closing the distance between himself and Jesus. To me, it's no mistake that when you read in the Gospel of Luke, it tells us at the beginning of the story that he is shouting from a distance. There's a distance between him and Jesus. And yet, as he begins to recognize Christ working in his life, the man doesn't distance himself more. The man closes the distance between himself and Jesus. And what I want to say at the outset of this Shalom series is that this is the center of Shalom. At the center of Shalom is when you and I are closing the distance between us and Christ. That maybe this Christmas season, for the first time in your life, you will take seriously Christ. That it won't be just some historical happening, but you will close the distance between you and Jesus, that you and I, all of us as a church family, will actively be closing the distance between us and Christ. Of the ten, only one heard what Jesus said next. He said this to him in verse 19. Rise and go, your faith has made you well. Rise and go, your faith has made you whole. That is an absolute picture of shalom. Shalom is a picture of healing and well-being. It's a picture of wholeness and health and hope and purpose. Jesus announces that his faith has brought shalom to him. That it's faith that brought the connection. Now listen, in Jewish culture, during Jesus' day, there was a belief. And the belief was commonplace, and it's this. If you ended up with leprosy, it was God's judgment on you for something that you had done. You'd been a bad girl. You'd been a bad boy. And because of some action you had done, you are outside of God's blessing. And the proof of that is you are now cursed with leprosy. It was because of an action. It was because of works that you had done that were bad that you are now cursed with leprosy. Let me tell you how amazing this news is. Jesus says to the man, it is your faith that has healed you. Please hear this. Healing comes by faith. Shalom comes through faith. It's not about works. It's not about you being good enough and you working hard enough for God to shalom you. (laughs) That's not how this works. In Jewish culture, if you had leprosy, you had done something bad and now you're cursed. So other people believe because they weren't cursed with leprosy, they had done good stuff. Jesus here explains how the kingdom of God works. It is through faith that shalom is a part of our lives. You can't work hard enough. You can't give enough money. You can't say enough things or do enough nice things for God to say shalom over you. Shalom happens. Wholeness happens. Peace happens because of faith in Jesus. And what I want to encourage you to do is throughout this Christmas season that there will be a fresh focusing of our faith towards Christ. That's my prayer. My prayer for you and for me is that there will be a fresh focusing of our faith towards Jesus. I want to close with a story that's quite famous. Some of you may have heard this story before. It's about a man by the name of Malcolm Muggeridge. Malcolm Muggeridge was kind of a C.S. Lewis of his day. He was an elite intellectual. He wrote extensively about current happenings during the time that he was alive. But, But history tells us about Malcolm Muggeridge, that he had an episode that he wrote about that deeply impacted him, and it had to do with leprosy. At this point in his his life, Malcolm Mulgeridge was stationed as kind of a newspaper guy in India. What we know, and it's an aside from this story, that Malcolm Mulgeridge came to faith because he went to Sister Teresa's leper colony support. And when he went there and observed what Christians were doing with people with leprosy, it absolutely stunned him. He had believed that humanism was the answer to all ills. But when he saw the love of Christians towards lepers, it completely convicted him. And he realized that humanism was not strong enough, wasn't compelling enough to make people stay and live with leprous people and nurture them and love them. He came to understand the reality of Jesus through visiting a leper colony run by a woman by the name of Sister Teresa. But there's another story with leprosy that's huge in his life. The story goes as follows, that he was traveling, doing some reporting. He was away from his young wife. He had often thought about maybe cheating on his wife. It was kind of a hidden, latent desire. After being away for a couple of months on the road, He was going by a river where he saw a young Indian woman bathing. In that moment, he writes that he heard his wedding vows, but he decided to ignore them. So he dove into that river. And in that part of India, if you were a white Westerner, impoverished Indian women were completely subservient to Western wealthy white men. So he had determined that he would go and have a quick affair. He dives into the water and he swims towards her. He comes up behind her and she's naked bathing. And he puts his hand on his shoulder. He's filled with lust. And in that moment she turns and she has no face. She is eaten up with leprosy. She smiles. She greets him warmly because she has not felt anyone's attention in years. She had no clue what was on his mind. But when she turned, she had no teeth, no fingers, no face, and no ears. He writes that he fell back into the water in sheer horror. He said in that moment, disgust towards her rose up in his heart, and he absolutely was disgusted by her. But in that moment, the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said this, she has leprosy in her body, you have leprosy in your soul. Both will kill you. One will kill you temporarily, the other will kill you eternally. And when you think about this story, what you recognize if you're like I am, I recognize that there is stuff in my heart that only Jesus can heal. There is stuff in me that only the shalom of the Prince of Peace can deal with. I can't do this in my own strength. I need him. Would you stand with me as we close out our time? As we stand together, I'd like for us to be focusing our faith towards Jesus. Can we close our eyes just for a moment? In this moment, I'm going to encourage us. allow our faith to make us well. I know some of us that are in this auditorium because of current events, you are absolutely sideways emotionally, you're sideways spiritually, you're looking at the world in which we live and you feel like your hope has been tapped out of your body and your peace is long gone. What I want to tell you is this, is that God announced that the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Shalom, would step into one of the most horrific time periods of human existence. And Jesus stepped into this suffering world and he suffered with it. But in doing so, he also brought a peace. He brought with him a kingdom of God that has within it a peace. And it's a peace that's not contingent upon current events. But it's peace that's found in a person. And his name is Jesus. Will we be a church family that will find shalom even in the midst of the storms of life and the suffering of life? Will we find peace? Will we find wholeness in him? Jesus said to that one leper, your faith has made you whole. Your faith is what brings you shalom. Can we just for a moment focus on Jesus? Maybe for you it's for the very first time that you're focusing on Christ. Maybe it's the first time you've done it in years. But I want to encourage you, will you open up your heart by faith? Will you close the distance between you and Jesus? Would you make a commitment to get to know this one who intervened on your behalf at some point in your life? Would you be willing to step towards him and get to know him and allow faith in Christ to be ignited in your life? I want to pray a prayer over all of us. But for some of us, it'll be your prayer of commitment to Christ. And that prayer goes something like this, Jesus, I don't know everything there is to know about who you are. What I do understand is that in the world in which we live, I'm not strong enough, I'm not smart enough. I need you. So Jesus, would you forgive me of the stuff that I've done? Would you cleanse me of my sin? Would you allow me to be born anew, to be born again, to have a do-over in life in you? And in that, I pray that your peace, your shalom, would be blessed upon me. That I would live in that, and I would live in your peace. Jesus, I put my faith in you. I put my hope, my future, my trust, and I choose to follow you from this moment on. I believe for this, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Callie's going to sing for us and lead us in worship with a powerful, powerful song that we know. It's the song of Emmanuel, God with us. And as we sing it together, would you step by faith towards Christ? For some of us, you have a need in your body, you have a need in your life, we have a prayer team that is this worship begins, they're going to come forward to meet you up front. Again, if you have a need in your life and you would like someone to pray with you and to pray for you, I'm going to encourage you to come forward as the music begins. The prayer team will come forward. They'll be here to pray with you and to pray for you. I would also say this, if you know you lack peace in your life, would you by faith during this worship time either step out in prayer or at least open up your heart to Christ? say, Jesus, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to close the distance between you and me. Let's worship together. to God, I ask that you would be this God to us who comfort covers us and comforts us through your shalom. God, I pray for those of us in this auditorium who desperately need your peace. I pray that you would bless us with it through faith in your Son. God, I thank you for the words of the Older Testament, that blessing of Aaron, that says, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. And may he give you shalom. May he give you peace. We're going to conclude our service quietly. If you would like to remain in worship, you can. If you'd like to come forward for prayer, please do so. This concludes our service. If you would like to slip out quietly, do that. But let's go worshiping together as we do. Let's sing this powerful worship hymn together.
1: we thank you for being who you are God that when you walk into the room God that you see us that you see everything about us God we can walk in freedom because we know we have nothing to hide from you and God that when you walk into the room God sickness is met with healing brokenness is met with shalom Pray that you would walk into the room, that you would walk into the room of our hearts, God, that we would find ourselves in the acknowledgement that you know us, and that our, our lives wouldn't be bound by shame and guilt. God, we would worship you freely with our lives, with our hearts, with our words, with our actions. Because we are completely undone. God, we worship you in our undoing. And we invite you into our hearts, God, to do your work of restoration, God, of bringing shalom to our brokenness.
2: Is to resist, and yeah, when you walk into the Invite you into our heart Come to restoration, world.